So we got Craig. Hello, and welcome to the B Team Podcast. My name is John Macy. Uh, tonight I am joined by, we'll just go down the list, uh, Boris. Hey, uh, are we doing the best of the best of the best, sir, in this one, or well, nah, is nah. the wrong podcast? Not in well, this one. There is, a, there is something that made me think of that, actually. <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, and uh, Josh? I mean, we could do a podcast on best of the best, but uh, I just wanted to say I stand with McGivers. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. a reason for that, too, according to my research. But um, uh, Milos. Hello, hello, hello. And Justin apparently went somewhere, but we'll be right back. Um, we are here for uh, the latest in our Star Trek Away Mission series. This is a special one. Uh, we've been, you know, starting our run through of the films. Uh, we did uh, the motion picture last weekend, and we brought in Josh as a mission specialist for uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Uh, I took the shuttle. I won't beam. <laughs> okay. uh, we won't we, we won't put you in a red shirt for this one though. Uh, so obviously we'll do kind of the you know how were we all first uh, exposed to this film? Uh, the release date of the original release date was June fourth, uh, nineteen eighty two. Our reasoning for doing this. Stop writing on a chalkboard in the background, God damn it. Uh, <laughs> Oh, no, that was me putting my headphones back on. Oh, okay, it sounded like... I was going to say that's Justin. <laughs> okay, it sounded like chalk scratch or something. Um, so the original release date of this film was June 4th, 1982, hence our reasoning for doing this this week as the 40th anniversary of this film approaches, and Jesus Christ, am I old. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Uh, let's start with, because I'm curious what the international approach to first exposure of this movie would be, uh, Boris or Milos. I'm assuming it's the same for either of you. Uh, age Before Beauty. Did he fall asleep again? <laughs> no, no, it's just that your voices are lagging and I can barely hear you all. Okay. So how were you first... That's a quote for he's about to fall asleep. He does sound like he's about to. <laughs> how were you oh, first... Oh, it's 1.30 a.m., so... How were you, you first... How were you first... <laughs> yeah, who are you talking to, John? You. Specifically? You. Oh, okay. You. So, uh, me specifically, I, I heard about this movie uh, a lot uh, during the 2000s and uh, 20 teens and whatnot. And I never got around to seeing it because I actually never saw the original trilogy. So, uh, the original series. Um, so, um, yeah, so this was a few years ago. I think this was about five years ago when I first gave uh, the movie a watch. And bear in mind, this was the first Star Trek movie I ever saw, if you don't count the TNG movies. So, um, I kind of liked it. I stood, it stands on its own, pretty much. And I never even knew there was uh, an episode on the original series uh, with Khan himself until I got around to watching uh, the original series uh, a few months later or a year later after that. And yeah, that's how I got to Wrath of Khan. Everybody praised it. And 
Although I had great expectations of it, I wasn't disappointed, even though it didn't necessarily meet my expectations. Okay, fair. Uh, Milos. Oh, yeah, so it'd be around 2010. I think it's like same thing for the motion picture. It's like probably before I watched or rewatched any of the new shows, I actually got around to watch movies because I was kind of sort of in a stage of my life where I was watching like, a ton of movies. And Star Trek once made it on my list. So I went through them chronologically at one point and pretty much watched them all. This would be, yeah, I think around time Abrams' movie came out, mm-hmm. I think. So right there about like 2010, 11. Somewhere nice. around there would be like when I actually sit down and watch those Star movies. Um, Justin. Um, I'm trying to think when I actually... Okay, so I'm just going to assume it was before I was 10 years old. Um, and I'm pretty sure we had it on tape because my uh, grandfather was a fan of the original series. Okay. And um, so, you know, obviously at that point I had already watched Next Generation, a few of the movies. Um, so I think that's when I was starting to realize that there was Trek before the Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I believe I probably... I want to say I saw Khan as like I think either Khan or Undiscovered Country. One of those two was the first uh, original series movie I had seen. Uh, so I didn't really watch them in order, um, mostly because I didn't really know there was an order. And right. then um, yeah, they were numbered. Yeah, it's got a big old two yeah, on it. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not all that smart. So, but um, and it's Roman yeah, numerical, so like who knows? Yes, yeah, see, yeah, room, yeah, room. I'm not, I'm not Roman, so I don't know what that means. You know At least you're honest. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Plus, I don't think we had them all. So, um, okay. so I think it was just kind of whichever ones we had. And um, yeah. So that would be my introduction to this one. Josh. Uh, so my mom was a big old Trekkie, and we had two and three, and I just went through one day watching stuff in the video cabinet, and then years later, you know, I finally saw the original series with my dad. Um, I didn't put two and two together, and then when that came out on, I guess it's DVD, I don't know if it's Blu-ray, but I bought that whole set for like 30 bucks, mm. probably like five, ten years ago. And I just went back through the original series, and then I was like, oh, shit, right, I should watch Wrath of Khan. So I watched the first one, Wrath of Khan, and then the third one, and then I stopped there. Yeah. Um, and for me, oh. for me, this will be kind of the short version of how I was initially uh, introduced to Trek, because I the first thing I... this ever... one in the movie theater, right? Me? No, I was like four. <laughs> no. I'm not, okay. I'm not 70. Uh, I'm old. I'm not 70. Uh, so for um for me, the, fir- the first thing I did see was uh, the voyage home, which we'll get into a little bit more in a couple weeks probably. And um, so then the voyage home was, I believe, 1986, and then TNG starts 
a year later, and I'm hooked at that point. So then I see on Discovered Country in the theater, uh, Final Frontier was not in theaters long enough for me to see it. It it made it in it was in and out of my local chain in a weekend or so because it was so bad. Um, then after Undiscovered Country, a year about a year after Undiscovered Country came out, the home video came out, and you started to get the the six tape collections and whatever. So I bought one of those, and that was my first exposure to Khan, Search for Spock, uh, Final Frontier, and uh, the motion picture. So those were all in fairly regular rotation in my house at that after that point. Um, and Khan is uh, probably, as I as I said elsewhere today, number two on my all time top five list. So I'm glad we're finally doing this one. Uh, is that because it's the second movie? <laughs> no, I meant number two of all movies. You wanker! I, just, I know. Yeah, I'm just making a funny. Yep. <laughs> uh, I do have some. Some basic facts about this movie. Obviously, we gave the release date of June 4th, 1982. Uh, the budget for this, which is amazing to me, but then when you think about how how this was made, it kind of makes sense. Um, as we talked about with the, the motion picture one, which we did last weekend, uh, that had a budget of $43 million and was considered to be uh, was still financially successful for them at the time, but not. I don't think it was critically as successful as they would have liked. And was considered a massive. Uh, was massively over budget because Roddenberry couldn't stop fucking with it and fucking with the process. So they basically removed him from any role where he had any level of say in what they were doing or future films. He was. I mean, his name is on it because obviously he created the property and he was a consultant, but he was a consultant in the sense of like, okay, Gene, then we're not going to do a single thing you say. Um, this one was made for... That's what you think so we can go the opposite direction. Yeah. This one was made for the sparkling sum of $11 million as opposed to the 43 And from what I understand... Uh, Every movie after this up until 09, you know, so all the remaining five TOS films and the four TNG films were all made by Paramount Television with essentially television budgets. Um, so they kind of changed the mindset. And for the, the rest of the TOS movies, they brought in producer Harv Bennett to run run the day-to-day -day, essentially um and this actually grossed uh 78 million which was obviously way less than the motion picture grossed but because of the lower margins it was actually more successful than motion picture was because they spent a hell of a lot less to do it um apparently the original goal was to make this for under 10 but they got a they got a budget increase at the last minute because there were some things they wanted to, some things they wanted to complete that they needed a little more money for. Um, also, uh, this is the the film that brought in, brought in much more of the uh, naval aesthetic and sort of turned, you know, because TMP was kind of more of a 
you know, they had ranks and whatever, but it wasn't, it was less militarized than a lot of the movies and the stuff after it would turn into. Um, and Nicholas Meyer, the director Nicholas Meyer is credited for bringing in like the naval aesthetic to the whole thing, which, which to me informs a lot of the stuff after. Even like TNG and the later shows and stuff are largely influenced by that. Um, the idea of, of essentially doing a sequel to an, to an episode for a film was, you know, they went through all the all the episodes and Khan was considered the only villain worthwhile enough to actually have a a sequel film. Uh, and Josh, you bring up MacGyver's and she was supposed to be in it, but the actress was very ill at the time and uh so she I mean was, they replaced her with Laura Banks so it's win-win. Yeah. So they were uh so she was unable to do it and um then uh that's where they came up with the idea of um actually he didn't really have a or they they killed up they killed off his wife, don't they? Essentially. Because, well, his wife yeah. was implied to be MacGyver's and um then they replaced her with Laura Banks. So, like, she's the new, like, you know, concubine hanging around behind him and in all the set photos. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, but isn't there, isn't there yeah, like, a line of dialogue or something? Oh, yeah, there's a yeah. line that his wife is killed by the eels, though. So, like, yeah. assume that MacGyver's is dead, yeah. Um, okay, so we can run through the plot. I'm going to try to be really quick on this one, because I know some of the Trek plots kind of drag... And I mean, well, I was going to ask you, did you want to run through the plot chronologically, or did you want to do Space Seed a little bit first, or do you want to bring that up when we get to Khan? Well, because I figure, I mean, Space Seed at some point we're going to do separately. Um, so, I mean, we could. All right, so I just wanted to raise one question then, because I don't think Chekhov existed yet in Space Seed. No, they acknowledge, no. They acknowledge that was a mistake. The, the, idea, oh, okay. the, the idea that he... That he recognizes Chekhov. Meyer admitted later that that was an error uh, because he wasn't on the show yet when they did that. Um, I have always I have always headcanoned it to mean that he was on the ship at the time. He just wasn't on the bridge crew at the time. Um, but I did read some stuff today, and Meyer did say that that was that was a mistake. He didn't think it was worth like going back and reshooting a bunch of shit to cover something that small. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if oh, apparently there's there's like a novelization that that put him in it because other people have tried to correct. <laughs> yeah, that's possible too. Oh yeah, there's 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 tons of memes and stuff about it. Too. Well, they they did, and like uh, everybody talks about it as like a continuity era. Yeah, they did. Like well, un unpopular Josh opinion. Um, Chekhov is my most hated original series character. So, and this movie, I'm I'm not a fan of this. I don't really. He doesn't really register for me that much either way. I mean, not to like crap on Walter Koenig or anything, but to me, he's brought in for such a transparent reason that it's just to me that he never registers much at all. Like the whole idea for his I think his, I think his role in this movie could literally be done by anybody else. Right. Yeah. And the idea for Chekhov Chekhov is a man. The idea for his whole You know what? Fuck you guys. You know? <laughs> Fuck you guys. Checo is the man. He's the shit. 
Sulu. I will not. He's the most useless not, character ever. But uh, I mean, exactly. he didn't even want to be in the but, movie. So. <laughs> Yeah, I will not stand for this checkoff. I will not stand for this checkoff slander. <laughs> I don't know. I I just can't. I mean, granted, I wasn't alive at the time or anything, but I, I I have a hard time getting behind a character whose only reason for existing was out of some kind of response to Davy Jones from the Monkees. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the guy. On. The guy just. The guy just wanted to get the Alameda. To find the nuclear, to get some nuclear wessels. nuclear vessels. Yep. Oh no! I mean, I think <laughs> that's the best thing ever. I think Koenig. Is, the The funny thing is, and we'll we'll get to this more when we do Voyage Home. But a lot of the a lot of the reactions to that in that scene are completely improvised. Like the person who walks walks up, the girl who walks up to him and says, "Oh, it's at the naval base in Alameda." Doesn't know she's in a movie. And she's just answering the guy's question, and it comes it comes off so like it was just so perfect. And apparently, a bunch of those things were completely improvised. Um, so, hey man, Chekhov asking, uh, where is the uh, naval uh, atomic station in uh, in uh, San Diego with his Russian accent in the middle of the Cold War? That's the funniest shit. It really was. <laughs> it really is. Um, so yeah, this was the first. And only attempt. Yeah, but we're just talking about Chekhov in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, we know. Not generally, that, but it was brought up. At that it was time brought up. To uh, and obviously, first contact later does this to a point. They don't. They don't sequel a particular episode, but more of an idea. But you know, more of a regular enemy type thing. Um, but we'll get into that in a couple of months, probably. I mean, Star Trek Four could have been Return of the Gorn. Was that the? Uh, was that at some point the idea? I don't think so, but it would have been incredible. <laughs> yeah, might have been better than the, the the giant space tampon, but okay. Uh, um, okay. So plot wise, we're gonna go real quick. Um, so this is, I assume, a couple of years after um, after the motion picture, um, and uh, so we're gonna skip all the you know the particulars of the Kobayashi Maru, although I do think this is the first time we see that on screen ever. Um, there's a, a run. And we see uh, Kirstie Atley, too. Yeah, she was great. Mm, she's great. Yep. Um, there's, a whole, there's a whole thing about originally, I guess, the goal for that character, and they never really, uh, they don't, nothing in the movie actually calls it out, but she's supposed to be half Romulan. Um, I had a feeling because of the ears. Yeah, she's supposed to be. The she yeah, they're a little bit different. She's supposed to be half Romulan. I was like, could be Volca, but I was like, nah, she's not Volca. Uh, and that's why yeah. she like. That's why she, I guess if you pay attention, she's like crying at Spock's funeral, uh, which they would. They assume obviously a Vulcan wouldn't do that. Uh, there's a scene later where like. When Scotty comes in with that dead crewman, she like freaks out a little bit, uh, which they're assuming a Vulcan wouldn't do that. Um, yeah. But apparently, she also uh, they wanted her to come back for Undiscovered Country because they wanted the the and we'll talk about this more when we do Undiscovered Country in a little bit. But they wanted the 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 Vulcan who turned on the Federation to be her. Because it would it would have 
would have more impact on stock if it was her. Um, and she refused because I think she was doing cheers at the time still. And, and she wanted a buttload of money and they were like, no. So they created the character that Kim Cattrall played instead. Basically had the, the same role as her. Um, so yeah, plot wise, well, let's see. So how do we want to go at this? Um, it's a couple of years after, uh, motion picture, um, Kirk's back to being an admiral. Um, he, uh, seems to not like it all that much. Seems to just be kind of bored. Um, his birthday rolls around and he gets all mopey and is kind of an asshole. Um, and actually what I, what I realized, uh, do in my research is that if they were following, um, the actor's actual age in this, uh, Shatner would have been 52 years old at this point. So I did find it kind of funny that, like, you know, this society where medical technology is to the point where everybody probably lives to be 120, that, like, at 52 years old, he's freaking out, like, I'm too old to do anything. Eh. Uh, well, that was probably well, was suggestion a by Gene Roddenberry that got yeah, ignored. I think Josh is right. It's probably just a midlife crisis and whatever. So... I think, well, you know, the, did the you pairing... say... Go ahead, sorry. No, 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 I was just going to say, did you say that Shatner was 52 well, or that Kirk Shatner, was 52? Shatner was, I believe, no, it's Kirk. I, I saw something that he oh. said, if you go by the, if you go by the year they claim that Kirk was born in, in, in the 2009 movie, then he would have been 52 in Wrath of Khan. Um, so, I don't know. I didn't feel like doing the math. Uh, but anyway, so he's having kind of, as Josh said, kind of a midlife crisis thing. At the same time, you have the USS Reliant uh, out doing survey work for the Genesis Project, which is a a Federation project to essentially uh, create what what I've always called the terraforming torpedo, where yes, where you know they're just able to like launch something at a lifeless planet and make it uh, basically just spontaneously generate life on the conditions for life on the planet. Um, the one thing I will... Okay, so just to stop you for a second, uh, yeah. back to Kirk's age. So Shatner was born in 31, so he would technically be 51. Okay. Oh, so I was off by six... An appropriate age. <laughs> um, okay. So... The one thing I will call out as far as casting here is that Captain Clark Terrell of the Reliant was played by uh, the late great Paul Winfield, who would also appear, who would also appear in the TNG episode Darmok years later, uh, which I believe we've already done, if I'm not, yes, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he's great in this too. Uh, it's not a huge role, but it's a significant one. Um, so he's Chekhov's new commanding officer. Chekhov is the first officer of the Reliant. Um, why he's the only one who's left the Enterprise. Well, no, I guess they all have by then. He's, he's also the first black captain in Star Trek, I think, right? Yes. Yes, he was. Yeah. Because there weren't, I don't think there were any on TOS. Uh, TMP doesn't have any. And then Cisco is years away from now. So, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Cisco is not even a captain right away, even really. 
Um, nope. So, so they're out looking for a completely lifeless planet for this Genesis thing to be tested on, and they come to uh, SETI Alpha Five, which. Um, well, they they think it's SETI Alpha Six. Right. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they believe six. it to be. They believe it to be uh, SETI Alpha Six. And what they find, Chekhov and Terrell go down to the planet, and they find the USS Botany Bay, which was a ship that uh, Khan Noonien Singh and his fellow genetic super be- super people were uh, exiled on um, from the episode Space Seed, which I promise we will eventually do in the Away Mission series. Boris has been calling for that and for the Augment trilogy for at least a year now. Um, so we will end up doing that soon. Yeah, I kind of wanted okay. to do that for a long about, time since we started doing the podcast. How but after uh, we, yeah. how about after we finish the movie run, we'll do those. Um, I'm all for it. Okay. Man. So, uh, Chekhov remember as they're sitting there. Chekhov remembers that the Botany Bay was something of importance, at least. And then out walks uh, Ricardo Montalban, once again playing the great Kanunian Singh. Uh, Looking completely different from the oh, last time Oh, he does. Yeah, but he looks older, you know. And uh, one, of the big, one, of the big, one of the big controversies around this movie, and it sounds kind of silly, was, was that uh, Ricardo Montalban's actual chest, or did he wear a prosthetic? Uh, uh, no, it was him. He was Jack. Yes. Everything I've read says that he worked out a shitload, and he was literally doing push-ups every time he wasn't. If he was on set, but not on camera or doing anything, he was doing push-ups. Um, so he is able. To... I, I got uh, one more. For you. The the look of Khan goes on to inspire an anime that uh, Brendan and I covered called Yu Yu Hakusho. And there's a character that shows up later as a demon, and he looks exactly like Khan. Because when they dude. saw that image, they were like, we need to make this character. He's a monster. Oh, that's awesome. oh dude. That's awesome. That's I do awesome, remember you man. mentioning that at one point. Holy crap. That's... Yeah, I love Yu Yu Hakusho, man. That's, that's a great anime. It's uh, Ryza. It's, you know. Right. That's great. Right. Um, dude, yeah, now that makes sense. Actually. So uh, yeah. Khan has the... So you find out that, you know, this planet is actually SETI Alpha 5, which is where where uh, Khan and his homies were originally left. And there's an explanation of SETI Alpha 6 blew up shortly after we showed up here and it completely fucked the environment of this planet and turned it into a shithole and killed everybody. Or And knocked it out of the well, that That's where the... Uh, the Why they didn't recognize right. it actually so, 5. Um, Khan has also, he has, um, kind of not really domesticated, but he has the only, uh, indigenous life form on the planet called the SETI eel, which he's found out is able, he's able, if you put it in somebody's head through their ear, um, it wraps around their brain and makes them very susceptible to being controlled by somebody. So he, which the people who are animorphs totally stole. Yes. Uh, so he does this to Terrell and Chekhov, and then we cut to um, the uh, Starbase Regular One, where the Genesis Project is being worked on, and you meet Carol Marcus. Um, I, I forget what the actress's name was. Shit. 
Not all that. Maybe better. Thank you, sir. And uh, David Marcus, played by Merritt Buttrick, would also go on to be on an episode of TNG years later. He was in uh, the first season episode, Symbiosis. And then I'm pretty sure he died a year or two later. Um, so, and that, that role had nothing to do with, with playing David Marcus, but he was, he did actually show up again somewhere. Um, doesn't David Marcus die in the next movie or yes, something? Yes, he does. Spoilers. Oh, we're going to get there anyway. So, um, so check off contacts, regular one and says, you know, cause they, they're basically on loan to this project to find a planet to do it on. And, um, he says, and I mean, you can obviously, if you're watching this and you, and you know what's been done to him, it's not all that surprising that he kind of sounds like a zombie. But he basically tells Marcus, you know, you are to hand over every all the research and, and prototypes for the Genesis thing to this ship because we're taking it to Starfleet or whatever. So they object. She contacts uh, Jim Kirk, who you find out she was his old girlfriend. And, uh, so, you know, Genesis is a top secret thing. Obviously, this idea of being able to essentially create life from nothing is pretty controversial, and they kind of try to hide it. And But not for that reason as much as, you know, obviously there are, are uh, like, military applications and whatnot. So they do this whole uh, computer computerized demonstration of it, which was actually... The first CGI sequence in any film was that the the whole uh, Genesis Project demo thing, and it was actually done by the the division of Lucasfilm that would go on to become Pixar uh, years later. Um, so, based on that, Kirk and Kirk takes Spock is actually captain of the Enterprise at this point, but it's basically being used as a a uh, ship full of trainees and stuff so it's like a training ship so spock makes the argument you know i'm not cut out to be to be a captain in a real and where shit might hit the fan so i'm gonna step back and let you be in charge um so they go to regular one and uh they get there and everyone's been killed basically or there are a few people like hiding like because it's around like an empty planet and there are a few people hiding there. Uh, there's also around that time, uh, Khan shows up in the Reliant. They have a face off and stuff. There's some space fighting, which is actually pretty cool. I, I do think the effects kind of still hold up for, even though it's 40 years old. Oh, they sure do. They largely sure do. Oh, largely do. because it's all model work too. Like it's not like all the CGI stuff you would have now. It's all model work and, and whatnot. Um, the other thing I think is interesting about the the interactions between Khan and Kirk, and I'm curious what the rest of you think. I find it really interesting from a writing standpoint and from a in terms of how the, the tension of this is actually generated by the fact that they are never the two of them are never in the same room in the course of this entire movie. Like ever. No, they're not. And that was definitely Montalban's biggest uh, complaint. Oh, like he wanted to be? Yeah, he wanted to be back on screen with them. Um, I think it works in spite of that. 
it could have only been better, but like that's just how strong both performances are. Oh yeah, I yeah. definitely think it. As good as it is, I definitely think you could have you could have had some different opportunities if they had actually shared the shared the screen at some point. But I mean, it works really. Well. Yeah, but they spend so much like they play off of each other so good. Yeah. Like yes, them being on the screen would offer different possibilities, but they're. Their performances are just so good that I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not bothered by it, but at all. Yeah, even though in my opinion, uh, Montalban goes uh, all out campy with Khan in a way, uh, but it's so. I mean, it works for that character. It really works, and you can see the revenge and hate that he has for Kirk. I mean, it just. I mean, it just sh- shows off. I-, I think it's great. Yeah, I actually. I also think both are elevated by their commanding officers. I forgot who played Khans. He's in a lot of uh, like trash um, movies that I like. You do have um, a name on that guy, but you know, Kirk. It's definitely Bones. And like, even in the opening with the birthday, it's not Spock who goes to him to talk about like life and philosophy. It's Bones who's reminding him, like, you know, Jim, you're old as fuck, but you can still be a captain. Like, why don't you get back out there and the, the two of them basically push the other two into the inevitable battle. Yeah. And I actually do have a... I do well, have a... Common uh, is trying to basically talk him out of fighting. Yeah, I was actually... Like, we have a ship now, you know, you don't have to kill him. Like, I was actually, we're free to right. rob the planet. Yeah, I was actually going to argue the opposite on that. That guy's name is actually... And there's a funny story behind that. That guy's name is actually Judson Scott... And I know this because I looked it up. Um, he, yes, he okay. actually, uh, his his agent made an error in judgment and asked Paramount to take his name off the movie because he somehow thought he would be able to like renegotiate higher credit position because of how much the guy was in the movie. But then they just and he's not credited. Then they just all. left him out entirely. Um, I I would actually argue that. You know, and this, and for some reason, even though a lot of this movie is just a giant parallel to Moby Dick, and as many as many, yeah. and uh, just uh, just uh, another digression, quick. He uh, Justin Scott also shows up in uh, Symbiosis. Does he? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So, as much as I've seen this, you know, probably a hundred times, right? And it never occurred to me, at least on Khan's part, how much of this movie is about obsession. Because, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. isn't you know you were right, you're right, Josh, that McCoy is the one going to Kirk. Like, why are you just sitting here on your ass being an old fuck? Get out there, do something at least. Where uh, Khan's number one guy is like, why are you doing this? We have what we want now. You don't have to kill this guy. If we have if we have right. this Genesis thing, you don't have to do this. Khan's just constantly like, "Fuck you! I want to kill him." <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. That's what I meant. Was he? He's trying to influence Khan out of the battle. Sorry, I'm driving in a fucking monsoon, and uh, I can't see. It's a lot okay, of fun. Just be careful. Uh, we yeah, can't send a uh, medical yeah, team to you from here, so just be careful. Uh, Justin, good. you've been quiet for a while. What do you got? Oh no, well, I was, you know, I was just kind of listening to the plot and everything like that. Um 
what do I have like on anything and in particular, or just was, was like kind of what you guys were talking brought about up that you wanted to uh, add to? Well, I well I think um, I think kind of going on Josh's point, I think it I think it definitely would have added something if they were able to get um, Maltaban and uh, Shatner in the same room at some point. But it doesn't take away from it at all the fact that they weren't in there, and I mean they do a dynamic where. It almost kind of feels like they were in the same room just because of how they set up, um, you know, like how Khan and and Kirk are talking to each other. They don't do too, too much with the view screens. It's almost like it goes from Kirk being on the Enterprise to Mm. Khan being on the Reliant, where it's almost like they're on the same bridge, kind of. You know what I mean? They there are points where they're showing the view screen, but there are a lot of times where when they're talking to each other, it's them like on the set, not like, you know, them on the bridge, not them talking through a view screen. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, you do kind of get that feeling that they're in the same. Yeah. You get that feeling that they're in the same room, even though they never, ever ended up being in the same room. Um, but yeah, Yeah, no, I, you know, I cool, man. But yeah, you know, um, yeah, you know, and and then uh, you know the stuff with like Genesis and everything like that. I just, I just like how they brought in like civilians to kind of counteract the uh, you know militarized version of Starfleet. You know, what I mean, where there are people in the Federation who are like, you know maybe we shouldn't just give everything to Starfleet or whatever. Like there's questions being done, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, cause every time, every time you watch Star Trek, it's almost like, um, everybody works for the Federation. I mean, everybody works for, you know, Starfleet or whatever, you know what I mean? You never really see too, too many Federation people outside of Starfleet. A lot of, a lot of it just takes place in Starfleet because that's what the show's right. about. Um, but uh, you know, it is nice to kind of see, you know, civilian um scientists kind of working alongside Starfleet for like, you know, some sort of goal or whatever, but also to see that kind of skepticism that they have and that kind of like worry that, you know, if the military takes over the project, that you know it's gonna be used for something else, which kind of goes to the greater aspect of what happens when the military takes over scientific projects and uses them for military purposes. So I, I, I kinda like that dynamic that they put in there. Yeah. No, I definitely yep. Um one sure. little note I did find that I thought was hysterical and was like pure Shatner, and this is the last digression I want to go on before finishing the plot out. Um, that scene where they, so they get out of the shootout by uh, using an idea that I believe this movie creates called the prefix code that every every ship has a code in it that you know if if it's being I guess the idea is if it's being if it's been taken over by somebody it's a it's a code that the other mm-hmm. another Starfleet ship would have to be able to remotely access all their systems and shit. Um, so they, they use that to, like, drop the shields in their alliance so they can shoot it. Um, apparently, when doing the, when they were shooting that scene, um, Shatner says something like, it's coming through now, Khan. But he tried to, I guess Meyer made him do it, made him do it, like, 50 times, because he was overacting it so bad that 
Meyer was like, yeah, but the way you're doing this, it's too obvious that you're setting him up. So, like, you got to tone it down. Like, and he just kept doing it over the top, ridiculous. And he made him do it, like, 50 times. And then by, like, the 50th, 55th take, he was just so beat down with it that he finally got it to where Meyer wanted it. Um, and I just thought it was, I just thought that was hysterical. It was, like, proto-Shatner proto to me. Um <laughs> And and you know what's funny about that is that later on um, in TNG, um, they're they're chasing down that renegade ship um, that keeps going after all the Cardassian uh, ships. Um, oh, the, uh, the the wounded. Oh, the wounded. What is it? Yeah, the wounded. Yes, and um, uh, you know the whole time they're like trying to get him to drop his shields or whatever and all that. It's like why don't they use it then? Like, you know, do oh, prefix codes right. no longer exist in, in TNG? You know, they had to, yeah, they had to, like, have Miles, like, convince him to, like, take down their shields. Or Miles had to, like, find a way around it in order to beam over there to try to convince the captain, who I believe is played by the actor who is the police captain in Demolition okay. Man. Um he, uh, you know, he has to go over there and like secretly beam over. It's like they don't have prefix codes in Next Generation, but they probably just forgot about it or probably just added to the suspense <laughs> and it gave Miles something to do. Good pull, by the way. <laughs> um, so after yeah. the shootout and stuff, you know, both ships are kind of beat up, but the Enterprise is in, is in worse shape because they weren't, you know, because Khan shows up in a Starfleet ship, they're not expecting to get attacked by somebody. So they were not in any way prepared for that. So they're beat up. Um, one other question I had is, did anybody see the director's cut of this? And there's one way you can tell. Um, I think uh, I've seen so, it once. The whole thing with Scotty's nephew. Yeah, the, um, for anybody who yeah. doesn't know. He appreciated. Why was he that upset that that one years later, and they mentioned, "Oh, he's he's my." My sister's kid, you know, who died the same. Oh, 
Um, we'll track them. While their man guy convinces. Them, hey, we can come left or whatever. Run into Carol, Marcus, and her son David, and there might have been a couple other people, but I'm pretty sure they were. Yeah, there'd be a couple. Okay, others. so they were the primary survivors, and um, mm-hmm. David uh, does not like Starfleet, uh, mostly because you know, as far as he knows, there there was just some Starfleet guy that her mom used to hang around with that he doesn't really have. All that, res- all that much respect for Starfleet in general. You eventually, you find out in the course of this that um, David is Kirk's son, and Kirk's lame ass son. Lame, actually. Um, <laughs> I mean, if, yeah. if you're gonna tell me that is the kid of James T. Kirk, I'm gonna call it bullshit. Well, it's the kid of James. <laughs> Carol Marx is soaking him for child it's the support. Kid of, it's the kid of James T. Kirk. If James T. Kirk isn't allowed to have anything to do with the kid, maybe. Um, which is kind of what they established. So, Bullshit. Genetics alone, that kid would be falling off of fucking cliffs listening to Beastie Boys. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they, you know, Spock's in communication with them about the repairs and things, and uh, it makes it sound really bad and that they're going to be stuck there for, for the foreseeable future. Um, Tyrell and Chekhov are there um, as the Reliant survivors, and then uh, Tyrell decides is basically taken over by the eel thing, and is ordered by Khan to kill them. And he he sort of fights it enough. Well, he's ordered by Khan to kill Kirk. So he not everybody, just Kirk specifically. Right. So he uh, he's able to fight off the eel enough to kill himself instead. Which was actually pretty brutal, um, and then the the eel just sort of uh, crawls out of Chekhov, and they kill it. Um, so it's so the way that I took that is, you know, Terrell doesn't have the loyalty and the adventures with Kirk. He just doesn't want to kill his superior officer, whereas Chekhov has genuine feelings of friendship for Kirk and for the whole Enterprise. So he's able to just basically short circuit and overpower his. Yeah, you know that's a that's a take on it that I'd never heard. That's a good one. I'm gonna go with that. That's my new headcanon for that. Well, uh, the way I understood it was uh, Khan had some kind of way to control him, and I guess he tried to after Thoreau killed himself, he tried to get Chekhov to kill. Uh, right, but the first. eel was what the the eel was the point of control. Though. Yeah, the. Yeah. yeah. And so basically basically what he was doing was he was using the communicators to like force them to do stuff. You know what I mean? Like when they were on the bridge, like when uh um like when uh Reliant calls uh regular one and um uh, you know tells them that they're gonna be coming on Kirk's orders, you know what I mean? And then um you kind of see Chekhov have like that like pause and he goes, Well, Authors are authors, and uh, you know, right there. 
yeah, it's because Khan is right there, you know, telling him what to say, and that thing, he, like, doesn't want to say it, but, like, it's like that pause, and it's like, you know, because the eel's in there, he has to say whatever Khan is saying, so it's the same kind of thing as what they were doing the whole time that they were with him, is that Khan was telling them what to say, and then, you know, now that there was some resistance... Um, obviously it shows that that, that's like a weakness of those eels or whatever is that, you know, um, that they had that like uh, band or whatever that he like, he like ripped off, like he took off with his mouth and, and it started like, it started like hurting both of them. So I don't know if like that thing was like a, like an adapter or something that like kind of like, uh, um, not an adapter, but like an amplifier that like allowed Khan to still control them, even though they were in the planet. You know what I mean? But it was kind of around the same time that he did that that Chekhov started having the issue. So I don't know. So I mean, it could be a little bit of what Josh is saying. Could be a little bit of you know. Well, the amplifier. The I just figured that was like the a amplifier dog thing. Oh uh, yeah. See, I thought I thought it was just because they were like off the ship. So, like, he made them put it on or something to amplify the power of the eel or whatever, or the power of, like, you know, Khan's um, suggestiveness. Yeah, yeah, I like I like those thoughts, actually. Yeah, but that could that could also be a plot uh, plot hole because I mean their their mind is susceptible, but to who and how you know I mean it could have been anyone like they could have been susceptible to Kirk to Spock to pretty much anybody in right. a way. yeah um, so it doesn't kind of make sense but you know if it's like the first why person there would that be talk to would have something that allows them to actually control yeah. Probably. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, mean, I think, I think about the longer the eel is in your brain. Like well, no, so that, that's why I'm saying it was a dog whistle because, like, Khan had domesticated the eels after they killed his wife and he had yeah. a tank full of them and he had this other technology. So yeah. I, I think he was able to personally control them, whereas other yeah. people wouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. see, I, I, I like my theory better, whereas uh, the first person that they are mind susceptible to is the only person that I listen to. <laughs> so, so they're like baby birds? Uh, yep, I like yep, that. exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think they kind of just leave it open to interpretation or whatever because it was just like one less thing that they really had to explain. You know, this was back when they didn't explain every little thing in a movie. And so they kind of just let you, I guess, choose your own adventure on this part. So, yeah, which is still cool, you know. So after that, after that, yeah, they yeah. Uh, turns out that all the Spock's repairs estimates were faked because they were assuming that Khan was listening to their transmissions, so he faked the numbers. Um, they go back to the Enterprise. There's a they go and buy the, buy book. the book. So they Could go be- and. I they go into a nebula, the Mutara <laughs> Nebula, where the two ships sort of. If, if I can just jump sure. in right here, if you're Khan and you're reportedly like smarter than everybody else, how obvious was the by the book comment? You couldn't pick yeah. up on it. Like it was superior <laughs> intellect, my ass. Um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so by the, you like, know, that's the third by the book. You know, there's well, like. You know, 
kind of just needed coffee, and there's coffee in that nebula, so, <laughs> you know. Nice Voyager reference. <laughs> nice. Um, I'm just which saying, Which actually dude. leads to my favorite line in the entire movie. Khan, I'm laughing at the superior intellect. <laughs> Some of that is the delivery. Like, the way Shatner delivers it, as much as his delivery is really weird a lot of times, one of the that was one of those times that really worked for me, um, and 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 also my one of my favorite lines is uh, when they get beamed back onto the ship, and Kirstie uh, Alley goes, "You lied." He goes, "I exaggerated." <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, so yeah. to, to what John said, that calls back directly to Space Seed because there's a whole plot point where you know Khan was a dictator but they said he was a benevolent dictator he didn't allow any massacres and spock is like you know how can you humans like appreciate a dictator he was a tyrant and kirk is like you know oh he was a superior intellect and he treated everybody justly oh wow yeah it's been i mean i i saw space seed within the last year or two but i also mainlined a lot of that shit in about six months so um they have the fight in the nebula. Um, Khan has the Genesis device at this point. He he uh, transported it off the planet. Um, so the it's an absolutely awesome space fight. I still think it's like the best one of the entire, at least the original films. Um, the next gen films don't really have a lot of them, so it's hard to judge. Uh, so at one point, the Enterprise is so damaged that the warp core is screwed up. And Khan triggers the Genesis device. He's just going to blow it up. And I mean, the assumption, I guess, is that that it's just going to cause. You mean the you? You mean you mean the line is so bad? Well, no, they both are though. Enterprise is so banged up. Yeah, Enterprise right. is so banged up. The warp drive well, doesn't yeah. work anymore. And uh, oh yeah, okay. Khan, right, right. Khan triggers yeah, right, yeah, right. the uh, Khan triggers the Genesis device. And quotes a lot of Moby Dick, which I loved. Um, and uh, <laughs> Spock decides to go down to engineering and um, go into the warp core himself with minimal radiation protection and basically fix the warp core by hand, um, which was is amazing. Uh, and you do get a you do get a nerve pinch in there because McCoy tries to stop him. McCoy tries to stop him from doing it. And, uh, you know, I'm amazed at... Was walking in there is the best. Was that? Walking in there was the Yeah, best. oh yeah. And I'm, I'm amazed uh, at the commitment to the way Nimoy plays the character, because at no point does he... I mean, I think he knows he knows what he has to do in that moment. He knows he's going to die... McCoy stops him, and at no point does his emotional reserve change in any way. He just goes, I'm sorry, Doctor, I do not have time to discuss this in a, in a logical way. And he nerve pinches him and does the Atra transfer thing, which they added in later as an out in case Nimoy wanted to come back. Um, at this point, he was, he claimed at least he was pretty much done with the franchise and wanted no nothing further to do with it. So, um... Unless he well, could yes, direct the next movie. Unless he does end movie. up doing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, 
uh, he goes into the warp core, fixes it by hand. Uh, Kirk is unaware that Spock has even left the bridge because he's focused on the immediate situation. Um, and he's kind of expecting Scott. Right, and then the warp, then the warp drive works again. They leave. The Genesis device blows up. I'm assuming that was that plant. Did that planet just come up? Did the Genesis planet just exist out of nothing at that point? Like, yeah. Well, the Genesis planet blew up. Okay. Like, the way the Genesis device worked was like you can turn nothing into. Right, but I thought it. I thought it. Not the whole Genesis device blew up. There was a whole lot of nothing and just grew a planet. Yeah, not to have another like. 20 minutes. Well, because that's that's the whole that's the whole point of the name Genesis. Right. Yeah. Is that exactly. you know just like just like the book in the Bible where you know in six yep. days you know God created the earth and man and everything else. That's the whole point of the Genesis yep. project was that out of nothing you know it was supposed to create like an entire yeah. world. That, I guess you know, not not living, to, breathing, um, not to have another 20 minute conversation about universal translators, which God, I hope we never have to do again. Um, I just, I just thought the way they... Don't say that twice. Don't say that twice. I just thought they established earlier on in the movie that you had to have a lifeless planet to do it on, and it just seemed like they did it out of nothing, but I guess that you're right. I think Yeah, the, but here's the I, thing, the, the amount of Genesis material it takes from a death planet into a living planet is very, very small. Don't need a lot of Genesis material, whatever the hell. Oh, we'll find out later so what the whole Genesis I don't think you needed a lifeless planet. I think it was going to terraform and kill every life right. on the planet. So they just mm. didn't want to do that because, you know, right. Starfleet. Yeah, they had to make sure that there wasn't any microorganisms on the planet, which is why Thorell and Chekhov were on the planet right. to begin with. So then. But yeah, they say, like, if there's up, even one like, microbe out of place, like... Yeah, so, but once the Genesis device, the whole device blew up, like, he grew mm -hmm. a planet. Because that's what he's yep. supposed to do. Well, I think, I think what happened was just because of so much energy, you know, from the ship's warp core and everything else, it probably just caused enough where it, like, just sucked in whatever was around and just kind of, you know, created yeah. itself, essentially. You know well, that's I mean? the, the yeah. other theory. I mean, it kind of is insane the way you said it with the warp core, but no, I think it came from the nebula. Well, yeah, but I think I think because of the power from the warp core, though, it kind of, uh, you know, um, not accelerated, but maybe amplified. It amplified the power of the Genesis, uh, you know, machine, and then yeah, like I was saying, like you know, the nebula stuff the, kind of stuck the in. Reliance warp core. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, from the explosion. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the warp core explosion and the nebula yeah, and stuff, it's probably enough actual matter to just create a planet out of nothing. Um is the is mm. the approach I'm now going to take. Yeah. So um Kirk then looks over and sees Spock's empty chair on the bridge. Um and then while that's going while he sees that he also gets a message from McCoy in engineering saying, Yeah, you should get your ass down here. Um so he goes down there, Spock's going to get down here. Spock's, Spock's in the warp them. core and gives, you know, it's one, to me it's, and I know I'm a little biased, we all know how much I love this 
franchise. Uh, this, to me, is one of the greatest death scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'll give you that. Still, I'll yeah, give you that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if I dig really deep, I can maybe find yeah. a couple of others, but like this one was... And to me, I mean, you guys, have, I've, I've talked about my best friend a lot on this show. You know, he's he wrote into a couple of things we've done. I've never gotten him on anything. I'm not sure I ever will. He doesn't really seem to want to do that. Uh, but this scene still gets me to this day. And I've, as I said earlier, I've probably seen this movie a hundred times because every time I see that scene, I picture him dying a foot away from me and not being able to do anything about it. You know, so, I mean, to me, that's... Well... Yeah, go. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, no, I was just going to say I agree with you that this scene, you know, even now it's one of the scenes, you know, I don't really get emotional that much in movies. But, uh, yeah, this is this is definitely one of the scenes that even right now, you know, if I had if I threw it on right now, even on YouTube, you know, kind of get a little. I mean, I've theory a little bit. And actually, I I did lose a friend and. uh you know, in high school and stuff like that. It was one of my best friends growing up. And, uh, you know, kind of kind of brings back some of yeah. those memories. I mean, so I was, that also kind of I watched this yesterday too. for, prob- like I said, probably the hundredth time. And that scene rolls around. And I don't care how many times I've seen it. I'm in tears still, even just not for and for the scene itself and for what it makes me think of every single time I see it. So... I mean that to me that's a testament to how well made it is, at least the movie as a whole and that scene in particular. Um so Oh yeah. No, and Spark with the yeah. you know, I am I almost just like there's no way I feel like but I think what really makes it hit hard is they deliberately changed it so that Scotty has the line of he's still already dead or he's dead already and it was supposed to be yeah. owned. And because, you know, it's so much like his catchphrase, they didn't want it to come from him because they didn't think it would make it the whole scene sound well, authentic. Yeah, I, I would be worried if, if he did the, if Kelly did the he's dead Jim thing, everybody's going to be laughing. And you don't want that there. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, so, yeah, but coming from Scotty is like, you know, yeah. you can't get him out of that. He's going to flood the whole room. Especially after they had already killed Scotty's nephew, like, no, you know, he's now he's like yeah. delivering you more actually, bad. News. I actually heard too that um, that thing at the be- the scene at the beginning, the Kobayashi Maru simulator, that was actually done in part because you know they had all those, and they have you know there are magazines now, and I guess now it would be keeping spoilers away from websites more than magazines, but you had magazines like Starlog and all that kind of stuff back then. And it somehow got out that Spock was going to die in this movie. And they, from what I was able to determine, they filmed the Kobayashi Maru scenes so that he would die there. And then whoever got let that out or when the movie came out, people would think, oh, he doesn't actually die. He just dies of that thing in the beginning. And then... You know, and that's what the the <laughs> stupid leaker said, or whatever. And then people would still be surprised when he actually does die. Um, yeah, makes sense. Well, plus, plus, I think I think that scene 
I don't know if that scene was meant to be there or not, the Kobayashi Maru scene. But, um, I mean, it does plant the foretelling of not only what's going to happen, but the fact that it is Spock's Kobayashi yeah. Maru. I mean, he even admits it right there, and he's like, you know, what did you think of my well, solution? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Here's no the other scenario. And they, they always say that he, this movie says that he never, that Spock never took the test. Do we do we believe? And I kind of go with this. Do we believe that that's that's because of what the O nine movie posits that he actually helped them design it? So then, he... yeah, well, I think that th- makes sense. Maybe that's well, why I think it is the O nine that he's the one who actually helped design it. I think they do mention yeah. that at some point, maybe yeah. in TNG. In, in, o, in 09. Um, something about the Kobayashi Maru and that he helped, that he helped. Uh, yeah, I know in 09 they do it, but I think in like Prime Trek, I think they mention something about Spock and the Kobayashi yeah. Maru or something. I, re- I remember, I remember yeah, hearing the only something time about I that. Is in, is in 09 but when I, he's, when, yeah. you know, during the, I think the graduation ceremony, they say that he actually helped design it. So that's why he hadn't taken it. Um, I don't remember yeah. hearing about Picard's, but I like to think it was early season two of Picard, and he just threatened <laughs> it until it went away. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, to me, this you know, it was it was it was to see it was to see if he would fight the Borg Queen <laughs> as his mother. If that. And uh, Justin, sorry <laughs> yeah, to hear so about cute. your friend, man. Um, oh, thanks. You know, yeah, at least mine's, yeah, at least yeah, mine's a hypothetical. My best friend's still very much alive. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that was a yeah. That was a shitty. And th- this oh, movie okay. to me is is still the gold standard for Trek films. Still, and it's not close. Like as much as I haven't, as much as I do really enjoy a lot of them, like it's not close. How much better this one is than all the rest of them. And also, like how much, how much at least two of the other movies have tried to copy this one and fail miserably to do so. Like, uh, you mean they weren't supposed to give Spock <laughs> magic blood? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I don't know. I don't know all the circumstances and events that led to making Rock of Khan, but this one really does stand as the best of the Trek movies. And it's yeah, not even I mean, close. The best of the best of the best. I think the closest exactly. is probably, at least for me, the closest <laughs> is Undiscovered Country. But even that doesn't come that close. Um, yeah, like this one well, does stand as a shoulder bothered by everything else. Well, I have, I have first contract. Uh, yeah, first contract. First contact is. Contract, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was the first of many contracts. Um, as uh, number two yeah. in my book, but I think that may just be because I like it, you know what I mean? But I mean, you know, it, yeah, I mean, Khan is, is probably the yeah. best, uh, I w- Star Trek movie, you know what I mean? And it's not only, and I mean, you know, I mean, obviously you have it at number two on your list, partially because it's a great movie, partially because it's a Star Trek thing, but, uh, in general, like, if you took, like all the Star Trek stuff out of it, I guess, and 
just made a movie that had similar themes or whatever, it would still be a great movie on its own. I mean, put these guys that in movie, ships or something, exists, like in like you know uh, naval ships. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, you're right though. You could, I mean. you could make like a science fiction movie and just yeah. take all the Star Trek crap out of this, and it still works. I mean, mm. and I would almost give you. Yeah. Um, I would almost agree with you and put First Contact second, but I do think that that one, you know, that one doesn't stand on its own as much. Like, you almost need, you almost need, like, 10 hours worth of TNG crap before it, you know, because, like, well, like, I, I mean, watched kind it. Of, sort of. I mean, they they kind of yeah. tell you some of the backstory stuff. I mean, maybe not so much about Robert and well, that was and that um, was generation uh, you know, stuff, stuff like that. Was uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just well, thinking in terms yeah, of. I mean, I have. I have uh, gotta jump out. I'm right, pretty heavy. I'll be right back. I have. Okay. I uh, have the ultimate trick for me as a wife, right? And I mean, she likes a lot of this stuff. But like I watched First Contact with her when I was watching it in the rewatch I was doing, and she was just like, "Why is this important? What? Huh? He already dealt with these people. Why? What's going on? Huh? You know, just all that kind of stuff." So I wonder how how normie friendly it really is, you know. But yeah, if it weren't for that, if it weren't for that, it yeah. would probably be second on my list too. Um. Yeah, I'll you have should. to show it to my GF this summer. This summer after yeah. watching Spacey. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, the fan fiction went over well. Yeah. Nobody noticed it was fan fiction. She got it, high yeah. praises and she <laughs> promised I can ask anything from I just her I want. This, She'll so give it she to speak me. English so. at all? Okay. Can can we? Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. gonna yeah. show her Spacey. Can we get her on the pod when we do it? <laughs> Yeah, I lost you. Guys. If we're gonna do Spacey in a couple of months, if we're gonna get do her on the pod. in a couple of months, can we get her? Can we get her? Yeah, on we it? can try doing that for sure. I want to. I want to see what somebody who's sure, never watched sure, sure. anything thinks of that. Um, so. Well, she she kind of did watch Star Trek growing up because her father is a yeah. big Trekkie or whatever. But uh, it will take some convincing. Yeah, we're to do, all but cool. I'm sure I can fine. do it. Uh, you guys... Are you drowning? Holy crap. He's drowning in static. Holy crud. It's a bunch of rain. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's probably pouring over there because we're supposed to be getting yeah. rain at some point over there. So, here. yeah, I mean, to me, this was the... This is the gold standard for the movies still. And some of the worst movies, actually, are the ones that try to copy this. Like... Into Darkness tries to tries to copy large sections of this and fails miserably. Um, well, Into Darkness, Into Darkness is essentially trying to be like a reboot of it. So I mean, there's a right. reason why it's trying to. And copy I it. would argue that all of the things that don't suck about Nemesis are just blatant attempts to do this again, um, which doesn't leave you with very much. <laughs> mm. How how so? I mean at one point you have to admit like but here's here's the problem with that. Like yeah, it's okay, like if you wanna if you wanna look at the track movies from 
perspective that this is the gold standard. That's like that's something that you have to follow, and that's something that you want to copy and I don't know aspire to recreate. But it's like you can't just copy and paste it because that doesn't work. It has to be built upon, and you can use it as a sort of a, like a blueprint as to what works, what yeah. doesn't work. But you gotta be conscious of the fact that you're never gonna reproduce this movie in exact shape, way, and form that Rad of Khan. Right. So here's a thought. Well, I mean, Wrath of Khan or Into Darkness basically just tried to take the Khan twist and the Spock death, and then they put yep. in their stupid ass magic and blood. I also kind of lost. Yeah. You know, I also kind of lost respect for Abrams when you know, and obviously if you're promoting this movie that supposedly has this big twist in it, like, I don't know what else he could have done. But to go on for months and months and months when asked about it, asked about it directly, and say, oh yeah, no, Benedict Cumberbatch isn't playing Khan. No, absolutely he's not. No, no way. No, that's not happening at all. And then he was. Well, well, that's also, well, that's also like uh, Andrew Garfield saying for months that, no, he's not in... You know, mm. Spider-Man, No Way Home. Yeah, no, when you I'm go it, so no, far into something. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you kind of have to basically I mean, you have lie to, if yeah. you're asked about those things. But Yeah, because especially since there's like usually NDAs and, and stuff and like that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. But I am, I am kind of curious, though, um, kind of going back to what you were just saying. Uh, how is as Nemesis I, like As this? I thought about it some more after you just said that, I think it's more just the data thing where, like, you know the the they telegraph his death so bad that I like you know oh like the second oh, he starts okay. copying gotcha. his memories into fucking Jeffy the Wonder Tard, I was just like oh well of course he's gonna die now <laughs> okay never mind um and that was also with like the the back- I thought I thought you were gonna oh, no, say like that, the space that was actually one of the better space battles in those movies too with the ramming and all that um. And uh, mm. that was also, yeah, I mean, no, you're right. I don't think it's as much of a, it's just the death thing and the, yeah. So I have a question for everybody, because if you look at, you know, Nemesis, uh, Insurrection, and especially like the 2009 one, all the enemy ships are like, you know, big and fucking pointy and super powered. The Reliant is basically a piece of shit. It's outclassed mm-hmm. by the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine? First of all, how did you feel about it? Does it still hold up? And could you imagine if they tried to do something like that today, where, like, you know, the next Avengers comes out, and instead of doing, like, a universe-level villain, they they do, like, uh, you know... I, I don't know. Yeah, I think... I think it holds up in itself... But it's also what they end up doing with it is a product of the hands. I mean, I mean, they made this for what? Justin, do you have that uh, inflation calculator again? Um, calculator. Uh, I don't have the calculator in front of me, but I know it was for like twelve million. I, I or something. Yeah, I think you said eleven million earlier. It was eleven. Yeah, but what was inflated? Two million dollars was what this was made for. If you made, if you made a modern, say as Josh said, an Avengers movie 
for $11.2 million, would you even be able to afford all the fucking costumes at that point? I mean... Well, this was, uh, I mean, but that's what I remember, I remember correctly model on a string. I mean, a Borg cube is literally a fucking square, and it still looks menacing. Like, they could have made a scarier-looking ship. I'm just saying, in terms of the, the Reliant, like, it was just another Federation vehicle, yeah. and it was Well, no, you're right about one. that, but I think, the, I think the, the tension that comes out of that is the idea that one of you know even though it's not being it's not being controlled by a federation person the fear the, the tension of that is that one of their own could turn on them like that and then who's actually driving it it's not like this act, it's not like the, yeah yep yep exactly so, it's not like saying, the fact exactly that big giant saying. weapony thing it's so, the fact that it's one of their own ships and this really evil guy is driving it um right well, the other thing is the really evil guy is literally a, a Superman, and like he almost never uses his other physical strength he, in the movie. Where he picks up Chekhov. Well, he does once. Him. There's also... According yeah, to, yeah that's according it. According to once, Shatner, once in the whole okay, and this is from... This is from first-hand... And, you know, he could be embellishing. This is from a first-hand thing. Remember I told you guys a couple of years ago, he, they did a showing of Wrath of Khan here, and he came and did a Q&A for it? He, he said during that, because yeah. they yeah. showed the movie first, he said during that, the reason that Montalban didn't have a lot of physical shit in this movie was that he had just suffered a major injury falling off a horse. And he didn't have, and he was still recuperating, and he couldn't do that much. So they they wrote the movie to deal with the fact that he wasn't going to be able to like, have a fight scene with anybody. Okay. Um... Yeah, and I mean, again, oh, wow. that could be Shatner embellishing. I mean, I believe that's it. That's the kind of thing I wouldn't think you would necessarily, you know, there's no reason to inflate that. Um, but on, honestly, seeing the fight scene between him and oh, Mr. Floyd in the next one, it's like, you know what, now I'm kind of, now I'm kind of happy that he didn't have a fight scene because I could just imagine what kind of fight scene he was going to have with Khan, you know what I mean? But, uh, I mean, in Space State, he beats him with a club. Yeah, but I did I did look it up on the calculator. So um, if in 1984 uh, I purchased 82. an item for a million dollars, huh? Well, eighty-two. Think, All right, I well, couldn't I remember if it was eighty-two. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think we filming it. Covered it on the If you're filming it in eighty-two, the the closest comparison would be Deadpool, as far well, as that, how much money was invested and what he got back. Well, that, Deadpool would be a good comparison. Well, that even right, just made it I wasn't a even more. talking about money, just in terms of like yeah. the thing that they used. Like, if you were to use something so simple today, all the Joeys would be like, "This is shit." But mm. you know, in Wrath of the Con, nobody but even questioned it. Right. It was just that good. You used to they were used to like the bigger and the better. Like, we want to make it big. We want sharp yeah. angles. We want it to look menacing. Which in this. Uh, particular instance, like the threat itself wasn't the ship, but itself was Khan, and he was the deadly weapon. Like so, today to answer your question, I don't think it would work. I yeah. don't think I think people well, would lose also, their though, movie. Like you make this like big budget movie, and he shows up like on like a small ship, like because Reliant really does look 
Yeah. Pathetic. Also, Basically. though, if you, if you think about it, yeah. I mean, no, I just, just lost my train of thought. Never mind. Um, bad thing to do on a podcast. <laughs> so, so anyway, it would end up being like uh, in 1982 money, it would end up being, uh, well, now um, wow. it's like 33 million. That would still be for the budget. That would still be. Dude. Oh. That's so fucking oh, so it's like basically Deadpool's like semi. Oh, that means Nightmare on Elm Street Four made like fucking Mira, Marvel that's money. Not even half of what the first Deadpool cost to make. The first Deadpool was seventy five. Yeah, I mean that would be oh, okay. that would still be absolute peanuts today. Like that's insane that you that. Not only did that they made it for eleven point two or whatever, but that Paramount wanted it made for even less. They were trying to get it. Yeah, yeah the budget for uh, the budget for Deadpool was uh, fifty eight million, okay. according I'd, to uh, I'd take that Wikipedia. Number. I thought it was seventy five, but I'd take that number. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess it came from. It's no, saying it came from box office. They're, they're numbers, I don't think I can see that. For older movies are pretty. I see that. Pretty close. Um, I did see something, and Josh, I think you mm. brought it up earlier that Takai had no interest in being in this movie, and it took, it took apparently it took Shatner yep. calling him up and convincing him to do it, even though he has like, maybe four lines in the entire thing, um, you know, so. Whatever. I mean, they, they kind of all have to be there in order. And one one thing I will say, and one thing I did notice this time, maybe because we had watched uh, motion pictures so recently, is that one of the things where I think this one succeeds where where the motion picture doesn't is that all the character relationships are there in this one. Like, the first one just kind of felt like everything was sort of at a remove because they're trying to channel like the deeper philosophical stuff of 2001. And other than like McCoy making jokes about the transporter sucking, there's not a lot of like the, the character moments that we've gotten to know and love about these characters for years on end where this movie has that, you know, they, they decided to go back to yeah. that. Um, You mean McCoy is just a grumpy old man and he always yeah, says it even, yeah, even the urban version is like old beyond his years. I mean, you know. <laughs> and I still say, and we'll we'll get to that when we do oh nine too, but like he's the only one in that cast who actually does an impression of his original actor and and it has no right to work, but it does. Yep. <laughs> Hey, I have a I have an anecdote uh, from work today. I was uh, escorting some guests into a room on the other side of the hotel, and we were supposed to enter the elevator. And there's this girl, like, are there stairs? Because I don't really like elevators. And I thought, fucking McCoy, like, use the damn <laughs> teleporter already. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's well, that's why that's why for this review we had to send out a shuttlecraft, Josh. Yep. Yeah, right. McCoy <laughs> has an anti-transporter line in this movie when they go, when they're in the, when they're in the Genesis station. Doesn't he always for the survivors? He goes, uh, Kirk says something like, "The transporter is still on, so maybe we'll just try it." And he's like, uh, "Where are we? Where are we trying to go? Where they went? What if they went nowhere?" 
well, then this will be your big chance to get away from it all, won't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yep, I just, much, I mean, yeah. obviously, if this is like, my second favorite movie ever of all movies. I mean, I'm 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 a, I'm in borderline like Chris Farley territory on this one, but uh, you know, I think we d- we've done a pretty good job with the uh, analysis. Are there any like, are there any negatives that anybody has? I mean, I do think it's kind of stupid that like Khan is so blinded by his by his monomania. That he doesn't see like obsession. Oh yeah, we have true. I mean, yeah. space pussy, man. I mean, that that was the downfall of the augments. Uh, you know, in general, when you when you think about it, is that their obsession and uh, ambition they they blinded them to what was in front of them in a way, and that was what basically was their downfall in the end. To me, this movie, for example, is a little bit overhyped uh, in the community because everybody keeps praising it as one of the greatest. And it kind of is. There is that greatness. But yeah. I do think it's a little bit I overhyped. I do think, though, I think we are, people our age, at least, I don't, you know, and I don't know any, I don't really have any significant relationships with fans of this franchise who are older than we are. Um, but... I kind of wonder what it was like for the fan base at that time between when this movie comes out and when Search for Spock comes out. Like, you had that, I guess it ends up being, what, like two years where Spock is dead and you're thinking about, like, if they do anything else, is he not is he not going to show up in it? What's that going to be like? You know, and obviously that never happens, but, like, I'm curious even to the the fan community thought process at that point, what that would have been, you know, like, yeah. Surely you thought know, he was I, dead, I, you know? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Well, this is, this is no a... internet. Like, this is back in the 80s. You don't have internet. But like, like, ah, you know, he's going to show up. He will see, you know, here up. Well, yeah, he didn't set. just, like, you didn't expect yeah. him to just bring I people back I'm, in I the next movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that. This is pretty like you know just bringing people back you know and saying that that's no matter you know what i mean now it's obvious like in today's day and time like nobody like oh he yeah. died now nah, i know where he's gonna be back in the next one yeah, yeah even, if you, even if you see the body even if yeah, you see right, the body they can reanimate the body the or something, i was kind of getting at half-assedly is more like and i'm gonna look for this in any pre-research i do for a search for spock when we do that in a couple weeks I'm wondering if there were if there was a point in that process where Nimoy wasn't going to come back and they had drafts of a script where he wasn't where it had nothing to do with bringing the character back or there was a third movie that had nothing to do with that idea and then they that became the idea once Nimoy agreed to direct it and stuff or if you know so I guess the no, yeah, I think the, the I think a lot of it is like was the was the movie was the third movie hinging basically on Spock yeah. on Nimoy coming back or not? Or they were yeah, really, I think like, I think it was or Nimoy comes back or did they even try to write the script without Nimoy? Yeah, I'm or, gonna or see about what I can find about it beforehand. I th- yeah, I think I think I had I had I had watched some stuff about them talking about the movies and everything, and I think it was on. Uh, 
I I have a feeling it was on that one um, where uh, uh, spot uh, uh, yeah, uh, Leonard Nimoy and uh, uh, William Shatner are like interviewed or whatever. It might have even been the one that was on that DVD set with uh, Whoopi, and she's and she's uh, interviewing uh, the two of them and uh, Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes, and I think they talk about it then. Uh, about search for Spock, and I think at that time there wasn't like like basically they were trying as hard as they could to get him to come back, and essentially directing it was like their way of like trying to get him to come back. And I think he also um, he also talked about it where I think he said something about like uh, you know he kind of um, kind of realized what the character. Is supposed to mean or whatever like he had like this like uh revelation about it or something and so i think he was ready to come back and they wanted him to come back so um yeah i think i think the third one essentially was on hold until they could definitely get nimoy back because i don't even think any of yeah. the other people wanted to do it if he wasn't going to come back and um so yeah i, I yeah, think i remember not. seeing that somewhere and uh also i want to I, I just want to make a correction because now that I, I'm realizing where when this was released and when uh, Empire Strikes Back was released, um, Top Gun Maverick is the best direct sequel since Wrath of nice. Khan. Okay. Did you, did you say? Did you say it was the best one okay. since Empire? Not, not, not realizing not, what uh, the technology was. Oh, okay. I did. I have to. I did, and I I forgot. I forgot P2, when everything was P2 released. Is, P two is a, one of the uh, greatest sequel also. So, did you watch Maverick yet? No, no. Uh, the yeah, cinema, the, the cinema hasn't opened here yet. Yeah, so I'm just saying. Um, Justin, actually, yeah, to build on your point, I mean, I I'd read some stuff too that like by 1982. Nimoy was like completely sick of this character and wanted nothing to do with it ever again. I mean, he had written a he had written a book, basically. I think it was a memoir of sorts. The title was "I Am Not Spock." Like he was completely sick of this character by this point. And I think in the in the intervening time between when this comes out and when they finally do uh, search for Spock, which is probably only about a year and a half, considering that I think. The Search for Spock comes out in 1984. Uh, I believe he has said he realized the impact yeah. his character had on people and that he almost felt a certain level of responsibility to keep playing it because of the because of the impact it had on people. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think, and I think even, even then he was just still on the borderline, and so I think they came up to him and they were like... Right. Listen, what if you direct it? And then I think that kind of, because then it allowed him to kind of control the narrative of what bringing back Spock would be. And it also yeah, allowed him not, not really, to be in the movie a, as much. Because if he's, he's directing it, it he can't really be in the movie. Minute and a half. Uh, he also mm. directs Voyage Home, which he's in a fair bit more. But yeah. still. Um, and then this also leads to. Uh, and we'll get into this more with Final Frontier down the road. But uh, the decision to let Nimoy direct Star Trek Three also leads to what I would at least argue is the worst of the 
13 films. Uh, based on the Favored Nations Clause, is anybody other than me familiar with this? <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Nimoy and Shatner had something in their what? contracts during the original show that said that anything that was given to one of them had to be given to the other. So the second, so the second Nimoy was allowed huh. to direct Search for Spock, they had to let Shatner direct a movie, which led to Final Frontier. Ah. Uh. Interesting. So, Obviously, you can see we'll, we'll the difference in the directorial we'll styles. I think I, I don't <laughs> think that is entirely <laughs> Shatner's fault, <laughs> and I think that if if you re, if you look at a lot of the the uh, supplementary material that's out there at the time, they were literally cutting the budget on him as it was being filmed, and like he had. The, Yep, we yep. had this whole giant ending plan where, like, that. it was basically going to be a recreation of Paradise Lost, and the studio was like, "No, you can't do that," and they made him like refilm the entire ending. I mean, so I mean, I don't think he's a great director either, but I think that that movie was heavily compromised by studio shit, which we'll get into in a couple weeks when we do that one ourselves. Um, And also, I just want to say that in the next uh, one that we do with uh, Search for Spock, I'll be a defender of that film. Yeah. Because it does get a bit of slander. Okay. I don't hate it. And uh, I think it's, it's not, not the best. I don't hate it. Um, I'll be curious to watch it again. It's been a while. Uh, I haven't it's seen been it in such a long time that I don't even remember most of it. I'm definitely like, yeah, was, there, um, was there anything else product. anybody wanted to get out before we close up here? Uh, yeah, real quick. I was just going to tell everybody if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while, rewatch Space Seed. And, um, you know, the, the way that it ends is hilarious because, spoilers, Kirk leaves Khan and his people on the planet and then, like, turns. The spot. Um, yeah, we kind of lost yeah. you. We lost you. Yeah, like, we kind of you know, lost you. We, we got like half. Yeah. Oh, no, I was saying that we. You got me or not? We lost you from turns to the spot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I said that, you know, they, they leave Khan on the planet and they say, like, basically. We would like to look back on this planet in a hundred years and see what civilization grows, and then yeah, they just kind of laugh. Right, it doesn't fly away. It's really stupid. Um, okay, so thanks for joining me, guys. This was a good one. Um, well, it's not stupid when you just look at the episode, but when you look at what happens. So, as far gone, as so. Uh, other other things we have coming up, uh, we'll we'll be doing um, two strange new world reviews this weekend. We took last weekend off. Um, so we're going to have two of those to get through. Um, did we decide on a regular show for next week? Did we want to do that um, that double feature of Justin movies? Do we have something else planned that I'm not aware of? Yeah, we had the Ghost Rider. Well, there's always too. Ghost Rider. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know. I wasn't thinking of anything past this week, so we'll we'll figure something out. 
Well, because nothing, yeah, nothing new comes out this weekend in Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park doesn't come out until yeah. Uh, yep, I'm uh, next weekend. So. Do you want to Brendan and I have oh, we wanna, do we want to uh, oh, do we want to plot Jurassic we'll, Park? Yeah. No, but I'm going. Yeah. Oh, I'm going. 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 I'm Okay, good time. Um, if you guys, if you guys want to have me back for search for Spock, I'd be honored. If not, I get it. Uh, and if oh, yeah, you ever no, do, come to really do I'll, I'll do weekend, that. But I mean, we can certainly do one like though the retro ones have no like established time frame beyond the fact that I wanted to get this one out for the anniversary and whatever, but. The retro ones can just be done whenever we feel like it. So if you want to do Circus mm-hmm. Spock, that'd be great. We'd love to have you again. I mean, we already yep. we already know that Tim wants to join us for Final right, Frontier. Cool. I can't wait to see that. Go ahead. Also, also this is uh you know before we close everything up, uh, it's been a year. Since oh yeah, we started because uh, uh, this is this is. Yeah, because this is going to be released at some point in the next day or two. Uh, the seventh is the official anniversary yep. date. Little so, did, uh, this, little, little, did, little did Boris and I know cool. that we did that yeah, recording cool of everything. Measure of a Man by ourselves that it would turn into this. <laughs> so. Yep. <laughs> yep. You'd have, keep you'd have growing. Justin, you'd have Justin. Yep. What the Jeep hell are we doing here? What are these writers doing? Oh, God. <laughs> We need, we need more angry. We need more angry just in our life. I'll say that much. No. Well, you won't get it next week. All right. Jurassic Park is one of my favorites. So. Okay. Yeah, we might we might be able to get Sarah on that one. And um, oh, when I was trying to find oh. the movies, I pulled out one and three, and then I was looking for Rad the Con. She walks in the room and she's like, "Star Trek has movies." Tell, tell her. <laughs> oh God! I was like, you you know uh, about the JJ Abrams ones? And the, she's like, yeah, I knew about those. I didn't know they had other ones. I've lost the tiniest bit of nerd respect for her just now. I mean, she okay, is definitely that. not a track all right, person boys, at uh, all. We will obviously, as we just decided, reconvene next week for Jurassic Park. So, um, all right. Live long and prosper, gentlemen. Yeah, from off. Spot recording. Oh, name again. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> no, I forgot about that. Oh, it's still, it's still we the people. Yeah, it's still the same one. That you... I forgot about yeah, that. Reprogram like the Kobayashi Maru. Okay, there we go. All set. <laughs> well, I did say we should.